0: podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 20th. Once again, I must begin today's episode with a brief apology to all of you listeners for the lack of episodes on this feed over the last few days. Now, I do once again promise to all of you, it's not because we've gotten lazy here at Crack Rackets. It's not because we've taken an impromptu vacation. It's not because we're disinterested in the home stretch of the 2022 season. No, the reason for the lack of pods these last few days is because once again, our Crack Rackets team has the immense privilege to hit the road and doing that with super producer Daniel Westoff is always a good time for me but in particular to have the opportunity to travel down to Waco, Texas this week, do a little bit of work not only for the Baylor men's and women's golf teams but of course a little work for the Baylor men's tennis team as well. It is just always delightful to get back down on a college campus, immerse yourself in the youthful energy of everything happening down here at Waco and I will say personally but <laughs> Boy, was it a stark reminder that the 2023 college tennis season is right around the corner. It was extraordinarily exciting for me to have the opportunity to chat with some of the Baylor coaches, some of the Baylor players, talk about some of the rumors floating around the college tennis world, talk about the dynamic, the big picture look at the 2023 season. Who are the teams that these players here at Baylor, these coaches are thinking about as they look towards the big picture of the season, starting to get my information together, folks, starting to accumulate rumors, trying to turn them into facts so that we can best lay out that big picture for you as we begin our preview of the 2023 college tennis season, folks, in less than a month. That's right. We are less than four weeks away from starting to talk about everything to set up this 2023 college tennis season. And obviously, That is something we are excited about here at Crack Rackets. But to get big picture here, why am I apologizing? Because, again, we've had the opportunity these past few days to do some work for not only the Baylor men's tennis team, but, again, those golf programs as well. And as such, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff and I were just – slightly preoccupied over the course of the past few days, whether that be traveling, whether that be speaking with all of the individual members of the program from a student or faculty perspective. That said, if you think I haven't been keeping my eye out on everything that's happened in the pro tennis world over the past few days, simply put, you don't know us well here at Cracked Rackets. And with that thought in mind, my goal here on today's show, catch all of you listeners up on everything that's happened over the last few days in the pro tennis world. Of Of course, that means putting a final bow on last week's action, and, you know, we talk about it all the time here at Crack Rackets. What do you look for down the home stretch of a season? Certainly, all of our Grand Slam play is in the books, right? And we know we've got the year-end championships coming up in November. Yeah, for the men, you've got the Paris Masters. For the women, you've got the Guadalajara 1000-level event. There are still some nuggets on the calendar from an event perspective for all of us to enjoy, but, of course, big picture, what are we watching for down the 2022 season's home stretch. And here at Crack Rackets, we talk about these things all the time. We're looking for certain characteristics, certain qualities out of certain specific players, whether that be a young player who has just dipped their toes into the tour level action here throughout the course of this season. And given that some of the higher ranked players will scale things back from September to November, those younger players now have that opportunity to go test their game at the two level, test their game against some of the best players in the world still playing here this season. You're on the lookout for those sorts of players who either have one breakout run, seem to be on the precipice of a breakout run, or just have interesting characteristics to their game that make you think, huh? This is a player I should be watching moving forward. Of course, the exact reverse dynamic of that. Who are the players who have struggled here in 2022? Who are the players who are looking to get things back on track as we look towards turning the page towards next season? These last few months of events provide those sorts of players the precise opportunity to do just that. I think we had a little bit of both of those categories of players here last week and over these past few days in the professional tennis world, players clearly amidst a breakthrough run as well as players clearly looking and succeeding in regaining their form down the season's home stretch. That, of course, is what I want to discuss here on today's show, why these past few days have looked exactly how a year-end run should look. And that means getting into the seven events we were monitoring throughout the course of last week here on this show. And a quick tangent, I apologize. This intro is going to be more long-winded than I anticipated. I suppose that always happens whenever we haven't podcasted in a few days. But I know I promised to all of you listeners that we would have Tennis Points Nate Walrath on to discuss everything that happened in the Davis Cup when that podcast was originally scheduled, I should say, for last Friday. Uh, Unfortunately, things got busy at Tennis Point. Nate just wasn't quite able to make time to come on the show. Now, the good news is he has made time this week, and I'm fairly certain, as of right now, 96.3% certain, that's an A, according to most grading scales, that he will be able to join us for a Wednesday edition of Tennis Point Tuesday, where he and I will not only talk about the action happening this week on both the ATP and WTA Tours, but I do want to take the time to talk about Davis Cup because I am fascinated to discuss with anyone in the tennis world, where does Davis Cup even fit anymore in the tennis hierarchy? And I suppose not just Davis Cup, but Billie Jean King Cup as well. These team events that in theory should be appealing, in theory should captivate tennis fans across the world, whether it be in cheering for their own home country and cheering for the team tennis format, which we are so infrequently see in the professional tennis world. Where does Davis Cup sit in the broader tennis hierarchy and team events in general? I suppose, where do they sit? Also, what happened last week at the Davis Cup? What do we think about the format changes? That's a conversation I still want to have with Nate. So we'll try to blend that with our preview of everything happening uh, on the ATP and WTA Tour this week in tomorrow's episode. So I know that was a tangent. Be on the lookout for that episode dropping here on this mini break podcast feed tomorrow as we truly, I feel like at that point, we'll have you all caught up back to speed. But again, want to talk about last week? On today's show, I want to talk about these past few days. And if you're going to talk about the past few days, you got to start with breakout teenager Linda Fruvertova. Fruvertova is not going to be allowed on this show to be called a breakout star next season because, simply put, the Teenage Sensations breakout. It's happened this year, whether it was reaching the round of 16 in Miami earlier in the season, whether it was making the second round at the U.S. Open a few weeks ago, or now it's her earning her maiden tour level title, Fruiter Tova. The win in Chennai last week was exceptional in overcoming a first set deficit three different times throughout the course of the week, but in particular drops the first set, yet manages to secure her first title over the 30-year-old veteran Magda Lynette in Chennai. And I again want to talk about the mechanics of that match. Talk about why, regardless of the scoreboard, regardless of how she's feeling physically, there are just so many aspects of Linda Froover Tova's game to Linda Fruver, Linda Tova's game. Excuse me, uh, to view it with admiration and to think fondly of and. Obviously, we've talked about that throughout the course, not only of the past week, but really, I feel like we've been talking about Fruvertova now for, what, 15, 18 months, maybe? She's one of those players I joke, jokingly say is not eliminated, uh, eliminated, excuse me, from the greatest of all time conversation yet. At 17 years old, she hasn't done enough wrong, if that makes sense, to be like, yeah, no, there's no way she's going to end up as the greatest uh, of all time. But, you know, that as, as impossible... As that sounds, it's not out of the complete realm of possibilities yet for Fru You win your first title at 17, you're in the ball game. And again, I want to talk about what I think makes Fruvertova special as well as, as well as why I think Magda Lynette, despite losing the final, has actually positioned herself very, very well for the 2023 season. So again, we'll talk Fruvertova, we'll talk Shania, we'll talk about all the final action uh that happened over there. Of course, your other 250 level event happened on the women inside last week and produced a rare singles champion. Now a lot of us are used to seeing Katerina Sinyakova in the winner circle, God knows her and doubles partner Barbara Krachikova have been world number 1 in doubles for seemingly just about forever, maybe the duration of this Cracked Rackets podcast's existence. And, you know, certainly the duo just completed the career Golden Slam in doubles. They've won an Olympic medal. They won the year-end championships. And now by winning the U.S. Open, they've won all four Olymp- uh, Grand Slam doubles titles at least once, of course, uh, for Sinyakova to go from New York on Sunday to have to travel all the way to Portoroz and play her first singles match on Tuesday You know, had she won that first match alone, that would have been an impressive enough accomplishment. And yet for Sinyakva to not only win that first match, but to go on to win her first tour level title of this 2022 season, first tour level title since July 2017, talk about a big week for the 26-year-old whose game with, you know, thin margins, low, flat hitting tennis. Yes, it can be a lot of risk, a lot of reward in that sort of game style, but when it's clicking, it can certainly click and there's no doubt for Siniakova. It clicked for her last week in Portarose. Of course, she knocks out 2022 Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina, who we can talk about, again, her level, what I liked, what I didn't like throughout the course of her run to that final last week, which I believe was just her second final, I want to say, of this 2022 season. I'm pretty sure her only two finals are Wimbledon and Port Rose. There might be one other in there from early in the year, but we can talk about Rabakina freed some all the championship weekend action again in Port Rose as well. And then I know we're 11 minutes in, folks, but Guess what? Still got more to introduce as we've got four ATP challengers to discuss at 125K in Bucharest as well. And yes, I know some of you by Tuesday, September 20th have already turned the page. You're already focused on this week's action in Tokyo for the women, in France, in San Diego for the men. God knows, I think there are five more challengers or something crazy like that this week as well. Going to try to crank out a second mini-break podcast either tonight or certainly again tomorrow morning with Nate Walrith. Ideally, we'll be able to crank out two. During this time span so I can offer you some extended thoughts not only on the tour level action but then some of the challenger things you should be watching for this week as well then with Nate perhaps we can you know for, focus on some of the more dare I say superficial storylines some of the big picture things we'll be looking at throughout the course of the week instead of nerding out and getting into the nitty-gritty that said again another schedule update I suppose for all of you cracked fans here in the first 12 minutes we do plan on getting this podcast back rocking and rolling the rest of this week so that you listeners don't fall behind because we know how easy that is to do as a tennis fan with all the action that happens across the world at any given moment. It does feel like now is also the ideal time to let all of you listeners know that we are previewing the majority, if not every day's action happening this week in the professional tennis world over on our Great Shot podcast feed, of course, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings. We now run our GSP Ace of the Day segments where I not only preview my favorite matches of any given day. Talk about the matches I think you need to be watching as a tennis fan if you want a sense of knowing what happens on any given day in the tennis world, but of course, I offer my picks there as well. And if you're looking for picks, if you're looking perhaps to do a little bit of gambling down the home stretch of this 2022 season, I highly recommend those GSP Ace of the Day segments. I try to keep them under 30 minutes, try to keep them as focused and, you know, specific to the matches I'm discussing as possible, but Every so often, they leak into the broad preview of the day, and of course, I end each of those segments with a five-minute look at the broader board to talk less so about the matches I am picking winners from and more so, more broadly, again, what you should be watching as a tennis fan. So, great chat podcast feed, the place for your daily previews. Of course, here, this mini-break podcast feed continues to be a place for you listeners to learn about everything happening each and every day in the tennis world. And of course, the reason we are able to do that day in, day out here here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. And of course, Tennis Point has been providing the best equipment at the best prices to tennis players everywhere for over a decade now. And look, I'll keep it simple. Anything you're looking for, rackets, shoes, strings, clothing, you name it, they've got it. They've got all the best brands as well. And again, all the niche brands. Perhaps you're someone who's not playing with a Wilson with a head racket, but you're someone who wants to use the Dunlop, or you're someone who wants to dive into the Yonix. You're someone who has, again, a specifically tailored racket to your game. Maybe you're part of the Technofiber crew. You name it. Tennis Points got you covered. Tennis-Point.com You'll find everything you're looking for on their website. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all orders free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis dash uh, the symbol not the spelling tennis pointcom the promo code is CR15 with that said 15 minutes in that's how you can tell It's been a couple of days since I've recorded a podcast. We'll tailor that down. We'll get uh, more edited, better edited, I suppose, as we continue to progress throughout the course of the week. But with that said, let's talk a little bit about some of the tennis we saw unfold over the past few days. And let's start with Linda Fruvertova. And look, I'll be efficient here as I've spent a ton of time, especially over the course of the past week, talking about Fruvertova's game. But 17 years old, you become the youngest player ranked inside the top 100. She's also, for what it's worth, the youngest player ranked now inside the top 75. And gotta say, shout out to Linda Fruvertova. supplants Coco Gauff as the youngest player inside that top 100 of the rankings. Gauff's been that youngest player for like five years consecutively now, so it's the end of an era. Dare I say, is it time to refer to Coco Gauff not only as a Grand Slam finalist, not only as the world number one doubles player, or former world? number one's doubles players, a time to just call her straight up a veteran. Maybe that is the case here for uh, Coco Goff, but of course, that has nothing to do with 17-year-old Linda Fruvertova, who just continues to, again, uh, reshape what we realize is possible for these teenagers in the modern game. And for Fruvertova, I alluded to this earlier, her success has been forecasted over the past few years. If you're a Colette Lewis reader like myself, Colette Lewis, the best in the world at highlighting the top junior tennis players in the world, you will have known not only of Linda Fruvertova, but of course of her sister of two years younger, Brenda Fruvertova as well. The Fruvertova sisters, I mean, talk about one of the all-time runs at the end of last season. They were playing, you know, final after final against one another, at the highest level junior events both players having a ton of success at the ITF level as well and in fact I believe 15 year old Brenda Fruvertova Linda's younger sister who's truly not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation yet I believe Brenda Fruvertova has won it's either 25 it's north of 20 but I believe it's 25 consecutive matches at the ITF level so again Really good week for the Fruvertova household. I like to think the Gruskin household has had some good weeks over the years as well. Myself, my older brother Eric, younger brother Nicholas, not even us, the heavy lifting my parents do with their accomplishments on any given day. But man, two titles in the same day. Shout out to the Fruvertovas. I know there are a lot of siblings to- with whom that would be the dream if I won an ATP title and my younger brother won an ITF title, and it's got to be clear, I'll win the ATP title and older brother can win the ITF title. I can't win the lesser of the two titles that day if I'm the sibling because that's how competitive I would get. At the same time, if you're the younger sibling, it's slightly more acceptable. Although, again, if my older brother won an ATP title on the same day I won a Futures, I would slightly be like, all right, this Futures title is okay, but I mean if eric 's doing that, then clearly I can do it as well. The point is there 's you know throughout the course of this season, Linda Fruvertova has redefined what we realize is ca- she 's possible of uh, capable of performing on court with her game style and you know, throughout the course of this week, you want to say she got four top 100 wins and include Podoroska in that count. I'll allow it as the former RG semifinalist was a top 100 player before suffering all these injuries over the course of the past year. But, I mean, you look for Fruvvatova. She plays two hours, 52 minutes, two hours, 54 minutes uh, in a very physical match against Nadia Podoroska in the semifinals. The very next day, she bounces back and in two hours, 40 minutes, overcomes a set deficit to earn a 4-6-6-3-6-4 win over a veteran's veteran in 30-year-old Magda Lynette. And you know, on the flip side, I mentioned the three hours Fruvertova had to play in the semifinals on Saturday. Lynette played fewer than 20 minutes of action. She was on court for 19 minutes, going up three love in the semifinals before her opponent Katie Swan was forced to retire. And yet, despite that disparity, despite the fact that Magdalena at at 30 years old does just have a stronger and more experienced foundation of physicality to rely on throughout the course of the match, despite, and you know, more experiences. Fruvertova was her first tour level final. Wouldn't have shocked anyone if she came out a little bit nervous, a little bit tight, as I think she did throughout the start of that first set. But despite all of those inherent advantages, it was Linda Fruvertova who dictated the style of play, the course of play, who dictated the result we saw unfold in Chennai. And for Fruvertova, again, it starts with the serve. She was over 62% on her first serve percentage in her final four matches of this event. She won over, I believe it's 70%, uh, excuse me, over 64% of her first serve points in four of her five victories throughout the course of the week. And while she struggled on the second serve, as just about every tennis player in the world does, in particular, every teenage tennis player trying to compete in professional tennis, and you look for Lynette, she did win over 50%. Of her second serve return points, did a really good job of punishing that Fruvertova second serve and keeping Fruvertova off the baseline, forcing Fruvertova to play defensively in set number one. But again, the high percentages for Linda Fruvertova ultimately won out. And when I think about Fruvertova and think about a comparison for her moving forward, and I know I've alluded to this in the past, I don't think it's Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. I think it's more the Belinda Benchich line drive model of player where, again, you're taking every ball early, on the rise, inside the baseline, trying to be the one dictating. You're the one taking that big swing down the line, changing direction, forcing your opponent to play a little bit of defense, or if nothing else, you'll go down the line and yes, you may miss, but at least you're playing on your terms. That's Linda Fruvertova. And look, the backhand, I'd put up with anyone's backhand not named Iga Świątek, you know, Uh, Last season, I lost my mind about the Clara Tawson backhand. And yeah, I've come back to life a little bit on Clara Tawson. Although I'm telling you, I test folks. Tawson is playing better and better to end the season looking more like her 2021 and former world junior number one self. Nevertheless. You know, again, for Fruvertova, that ability to drive the backhand down the line, that ability to change direction with her backhand, her ability to hit her spot so fluidly on the serve, and then her ability to go down swinging. And it felt like the moment she dropped that first set 6-4, the way she goes up an early break in set number uh, two against Magda Lynette, you know, breaking by hitting two successful uh, excuse me throughout the in the game she manages to break serve. She goes down the line three times on each of those plays. The error is drawn from Lynette. I, I just love that confidence from the seventeen year old who found herself a set down, found herself trailing again the thirty year old player Lynette who did a really good job absorbing the first strike of fruvertova did a really good job of taking her return of serve on uh, on the rise and trying to beat fruvertova to the spot trying to take advantage of the fact that perhaps the thing fruvertova most looks like a 17 year old doing is moving around the court. Now, I think she's very fluid in terms of hitting on the run. I think when she's able to make quality contact with the ball, it doesn't matter if she's on the run, doesn't matter if she's 12 feet or outside the base, uh, behind the baseline, six feet inside the baseline. If Fruva Tova makes clean contact, she's going to do damage with the shot. But, yeah, she's a little slow getting in and out of corners. Slow's the wrong word. She just looks like a 17-year-old getting in and out of the corners. And Lynette did a good job of forcing her into those corners and spreading the court in set number one. But set number two, Fruvertova, was at least two steps closer, if not inside the baseline, on her return of serve. She was just, again, creating and generating such great depth on her ground strokes that it prevented Magda Lynette from do much sort of dictating of any sort. And, you know, again with this result. Guess what, folks? Linda Fruvertova again, inside the top 100. Fruvertova's up to number 74 in the world now. You look for Fruvertova again, youngest player inside the WTA top 100, obviously youngest inside the top 70 as well. And, you know, yeah, she'll have age restrictions placed on her until she turns 18 next May. But, guess what? In limited action, guess what she gets to play? She'll get to play the Australian Open main draw. You don't have to worry about a wild card. She'll get to play the Miami Open. She's an IMG kid. IMG always takes care of their own. She got a wild card into Miami this year, made the round of 16, by the way, with that wild card, So and beat Elisa Mertens, couple other good players. Hard to argue that wild card wasn't justified. Yes, yeah, she has a round of 16 points to defend there, which is kind of crazy to think about next year, but she'll get to play that. She gets to play Australia with how her ranking is set up, all those indoor hardcore European events, or, you know anything she wants to come over to the States to play as well. Everything's going to be available to Fru Vertova at 17 years old. And then once she turns 18 and those restrictions are off, if she's not already inside the top 50, you know, again, it just feels like how long will it take for Fruvertova to get? inside that WTA Top 50. Certainly feels like she'll be there by the end of next season. And, you know, she hasn't had a big slam run yet. She really, I think she's like 15 and 9 in her career. It's like 18 and 11, something like that, in tour-level matches overall, outside of this run in Porto Rose again. Uh, excuse me, in Chennai. You know, this was her first tour-level quarterfinal. It was her first tour-level semifinal, first tour-level final, obviously first tour-level title as well. But, man, the future is bright for Linda Fruvertova, who again, just structurally, what's the weakness in her game? What's the thing you're doing as her opponent to attack her relentlessly? And maybe it is if you're coaching her opponent, obviously, to some of you listeners. And feel free to tweet at me, at A.L. Gruskin. To me, it's you got to spread the court. You got to get her moving. I think if you attack that forehand with elite pace, and again, you can say this about any player, but if you attack her forehand with elite pace, yeah, more errors will pile up but she's 17 years old, and I'm like, everything I see, I would love it if she moved a little bit better, but that's very correctable for a 17-year-old, and it's like, what happens when she's been in the gym for five more years, and you know, again, at 17 years old, this is always one of my fun facts, come 2022, Linda Fruvertova, January 1st, 2022, Linda Fruvertova is what, so that's seven and change from now, she's 24 years old, 25 years old, like, at a certain point, what are we doing here? She was born in 2005 and she's already won a WTA title. Now, I know tennis fans have been saying that for a generation about every, you know, generation of young players that seems to succeed their favorites and yeah, maybe for me born in 1995 to see a player a decade younger than me win their first title, does that hurt my pride a little bit? Not my pride, but do I feel old for the first time and Quite a bit of time? Yeah, I would argue that. I certainly do. That said, again, use your eyes, folks. Fruvertova dominated top 100 player Rebecca Peterson earlier this week. She had the biggest weapons on the court against Varvara Gracheva. She, you know, physically able to hold out and just Again, biggest weapons on the court that ultimately win out against Nadia Podoroska. And then just the boldness in the final and the way she went down swinging despite the fact that, look, there were things I thought that, again, Magda Lynette did well to pressure uh, Fruvertova throughout the course of the match. I think Magda Lynette, again... I talk about Fruvertova in the Belinda Bencic model. I think Fruvertova is Benchich, sixteen year old version of Benchich, you know, pre-knee injuries, pre all the different things she's gone through in her career where it felt like Belinda Benchich could be the player of her generation, say a decade ago. You know, that's where you're at with Fruvertova right now. Probably on the flip side, Magda Lynette's probably like Belinda Benchic point six when you're trying to think of a comparison. And I say that affectionately, by the way, you know, probably 0.7 is a is a, is a kinder number to say. But, you know, again, despite all the things she was able to do, Fruvertova too comfortable. Now, again, I do want to point out, you look for Lynette, who was a little bit banged up by the end of that third set physically. Tough loss for her, certainly still looking for that first title since, I believe, 2020. But hey, shout out to Magda Lynette, who with her run this week, back up to number 51 in the live rankings. And, I mean you look for Magda Lynette, she has 3 total wins, one of them in Australia, two of them in the Middle East in you know one in Dubai, one in Doha. 3 total victories for her to defend till March 1st of next year. She's 51 in the rankings now. Obviously getting into the Australian Open, getting into whatever 250 or 500 level events she wants to play, but 51 in the world. You're probably getting into Doha, probably getting into Dubai as well. And so she's got three wins to defend from last year. She can get four, five, God forbid, six wins in the first two months of the season. Welcome back to the top 15. You look for Lynette, whose career high is number 33 overall, which she reached in February 2020. Is that an achievable target for Magda Lynette at the start of next season? I think the answer to that question is yes. So Again, shout out to Magda Lynette, who certainly played well, but Linda Fruvertova has to be your story of last weekend, because again, teenage sensation, I don't know if we're going to allow people to come on this show and call her a breakout star next year, because I think she's already broken out, folks, and that first tour-level title is certainly indicative of that fact. But again, shout out to Magda Lynette, shout out to Linda Fruvertova, shout out to Nadia Podorovska, first semifinal for her since early 2021, shout out to Katie Swan, first tour-level semifinal of her career, disappointed it ended with injury as so many of Katie Swan's runs on tour have uh, throughout the course of her young career, but certainly played some good tennis, in my opinion, on the hard courts of Chennai, India, and... Are we going to talk about the uh, postseason post-match press conference, some of the awkwardness associated with all the answers? And I know, again, game recognizes game as an MC. I started uh, as an MC. Do I get to identify as an MC now, having MC'd in Cleveland a couple of times in my career as an MC? um, You know, it's not the easiest job in the world. You do feel some pressure. It's not always... Comfortable speaking in front of five hundred to a thousand people, especially if you 're not a hundred percent sure what you want to ask this player, especially if you've spoken to Fruvertova Lynette and asked them questions i don 't know five days consecutively, as the guy in Schneid likely had, but yeah, look up the definition of cringeworthy in. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you'll find the post-match interviews of that Chennai final. Wasn't great, Bob. Was not great. That said, uh, certainly the level of tennis was exciting throughout the course of the week. But with that in mind, it's time to move on and let's talk about some of the other action that happened in the tennis world. It's going to go a little bit quicker through the rest of these events now we saw last week. Let's start with Katerina Sinyakova, uh, the 26-year-old earning her first title again since all the way back in Bostad, July 2017. Now, she'd reached two other finals at the tour level since that time. She'd also reached a couple of 100K finals, and she actually won 100K earlier in August this season, but looking for Katarina Sinyakova overall throughout the course of the year. It had been a little bit of a struggle for her in the tour level in particular. Now, you know, you'll find like a quarterfinal in Hamburg here and first round victories, a bunch of different places, U.S. Open and, you know, Budapest, Warsaw. There were certainly wins for her throughout the course of this season. But again, to see uh, Sinyakova reach her first final of the year. At the tour level, her first final in over a year at the tour level, uh, you gotta respect what the 26-year-old was able to do last week. And again, earning a three-set victory over 2022 Wimbledon champion 6 six-seven-seven-six-six-four in that Portorož final. And again, while it's not always the prettiest tennis, you gotta respect Sinyakova's ability, eagerness, and willingness to just go for it and play on her terms and sort of employ, dare I say, a fuck it sort of mindset where it's like, look, I'm going big. I'm going line. Now's my opportunity. I don't, you know, I'm not entirely sure uh, if it's going to work or not. I may end up in the net, may end up missing wide, but at least I'm playing on my terms. And the more and more I watch professional tennis, it's so funny. When I was younger, I used to just be completely captivated. By the grinders of the world. Obviously, on the men's side, you know, for me, Stefan Kozlov was a big guy. Just his physicality, the plethora of shot making he could do. A guy like, you know, Mitchell Kruger, I always enjoyed watching his struggle, his fight, his tenacity. Michael Moe, similar category of player where it's just like they put a million balls in play. They're all in on the fight. You know, similarly on the women's side, you think about players like Simona Halep, Caroline Wozniaki, who were certainly two of the definitive and defining talents. Of my formative tennis years, and yet, the more you watch, the more you just realize how important it is to have weapons, be able to play on your terms, go down swinging, so that regardless of what your ridiculously talented opponent is doing, you can still find ways to have success, regardless of what's happening on that other side of the court. That's why Sinyakova's effort mentality uh, is so advantageous to her on the singles court and you saw it in a couple of matches whether it was again uh, beating Jasmine Paolini 7-6 in the third that second set 7-6 tie break she took over Elena Rabakinas and Sinyakva took some big swings and Certainly, I mentioned this earlier, Sanyakova, the doubles player that she is, I mean, you can see why she would be so good at doubles by watching her on the return of serve. Her ability to keep that ball so low, you know, barely clearing the net, her ability to drive it cross court, whether it be short angle or with depth, her ability to connect on that forehand early on the rise, her ability to just punish any sort of short-looking second serve that you leave available to her, I mean that's what you needed to do against Elena Rabakina, who let's be clear, six seven seven six six four three hour match. Rybakina one thousand percent could have won this battle, and you know again you look at the stats from these two in this match. Not a lot uh, separating the two of them throughout the course of this one for uh, Elena Rabakina, who by the way has a brutal first round draw in Tokyo. She's now going to take on Ludmila Samsonova. You look for Rybakina. You know, won 60% of her first serve points, 63% of her second serve points, won 52% of her second serve returns, which was the single best return mark for either of these two players. She also had, you know, seven break point opportunities throughout the course of the match, converted four of them. The problem for Rabakina was she just didn't make enough first serves in this match. And that happened a couple of times throughout the week. She was lucky to escape out of round number one, making just barely 50% of her first serves. I think technically it was like 49.7, but we'll let it slide. Um, Against Sinyakova, or excuse me, in her second round match, that number had jumped up to 52%. But the other parts of her game seemed to be clicking Again, she just needed a little more from the serve uh, against Sinyakova and that first serve percentage and that, you know, again, reliance on that A game for Rabakina. She is unequivocally, and now as a Slam champion, she's a member and property owner at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. But developing Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, giving herself a little bit more margin on the return of serve, particularly with all due respect to Katarina Sinyakova, who hits her spots well and more than anything else is really efficient with how she lands her first strike, forcing Rabacchina constantly to have to hit that second ball on the full run. But Rabacchina is too talented physically. Rabacchina makes too clean of contact with the ball to where she just shouldn't be spraying as much in the outer thirds of the court as she does. Yeah, I know she's a bigger player. I know she likes to play bigger as well, but she's an outstanding athlete. And like, she's a fluid mover. And so, I know a line drive is an instinct and Serena Williams power tennis is a lifestyle, but I just, it was too one speed for me from Elena Rabakina. And that's a credit to Sinyakova, who's one speed, low, flat, you know, again, play aggressive, was good enough to earn her the victory on the day. And you look for Sinyakova. Now she's back inside the top 50, currently sitting at number 49 in the live rankings. Sinyakova has not had the greatest season to date, again, from a singles perspective. And you look for Katarina Sinyakova as we begin to look, I suppose, with an eye out. And now it is appropriate, right, to have an eye out towards the 2023 season. Obviously, 49 in the rankings. Sinyakova should be able to get into whatever events she wants to get into. But, I mean, another player did not win a match throughout the course of the month of January. Won not a single main draw match in... Uh, in the month of February, either at the tour level. She has, through the month of March, a first round round of 128 Indian Wells victory to defend, then two victories in Miami. She made round of uh, 32 in Miami last season. That's three victories to defend in the first three months of the year on the singles court. And you look for Sinyakova again, 49 in the world. She's going to get into just about every, if not every event that she wants to play. I mean, another player. If things break right, could she be top 30 come, you know, the start of the clay court season next year? Absolutely. You've got nothing to defend for three months and plenty of events to play throughout. So, heck of a run there uh, for Katarina Sinyakova. Earns a much-needed title now. Just puts herself in position to do some really fun things on the singles court to go along with all the fun things she always does on the doubles court as well. With that said, you know, again, disappointing results certainly for Rabakana to end the tournament. That said, she, what, dropped one set prior to the final and her two victories, one and one over Bogdan. And four and one over Martin Sova. Yeah, those looked pretty good to me. Also, gotta give a shout out to qualifier in 27, 28-year-old Annalina Friedsome, uh, who made her first tour level quarterfinal of the season, first tour level semifinal as well, and I believe just the third tour level semifinal of her career before getting knocked out by Sinyakova one and five. Friedsam back up to number one forty-four in the live rankings as such. But again, those were your two tour-level events last week. Sinyakova, Fruvertova, taking home the titles. Good week to be a fan of Czech women's tennis. And I think I saw a stat, and we've alluded to this before. By the way, Sinyakova, 26 years old, I don't think anyone would accuse her of being old or washed up other than my guy Izzy, who, as I referred to, referred to Nick Kyrgios born in April 1995, asked me if my guy was washed out already at this point of his career. And again, Izzy, New Zealand radio host, that was a humble brag for me that I went on his show. I don't think Kirios is washed. I certainly don't think Sinyakova is washed. But again, when you look at some of the young names on the WTA tour, the players who are positioning themselves uh, for future success, uh, there's just a wave of them. Uh, littered throughout the rankings and and the majority of them seem to be from the Czech Republic. You look at some of these names, I mean, obviously you've got Linda and Brenda Fruvertova, you've got former world junior number two, Linda Naskova on that list as well. You've got, uh, just again, uh, Sarah Bialik, I believe. Bialik is, I want to say, how you say her name. And the 16-year-old, also another top 200 player in the world. You've got uh, players like Barbara Platsitsova, um Again, I'm not Ana Siskova. That's another good one. I can go on and on about the list of talented young Czech players who are killing it, not only in the juniors, uh, but now we're seeing that success on the pro tour as well. And again, Fruvertova's Noskova. If that's my three to ride with over the next decade, if I'm a fan of Czech women's tennis, honestly, your three to ride with for the next fifteen years, as none of them are twenty years old yet, and I don't think any of them are even eighteen yet either. Hold this Noskova. Let me look real quick. Linda Noskova, seventeen years old. Yeah. You've got 13 years to ride with this group, these three names, until the oldest of them turns 30 years old. Czech women's tennis not going anywhere, folks. Yeah, I know Kvitova eventually going to retire. Pliskova, you feel like, might eventually fall off a little bit, but... As soon as they do, there will be players ready to replace them. So fun time to be a fan of Czech women's tennis. That said, uh, let's move over now and talk about some of the ATP action we saw last week. I know Davis Cup took the attention of many of the best players in the professional men's rankings, but how about Ugo Umber, who earns a desperately desperately needed challenger victory here to uh, regain some form as we approach 2023. Of course, for Ugo Umber, who is ranked as high as the top 25 of the ATP rankings back in June of last year, he has fallen outside of the top 150 at one point this year. And you look for him to start the season. First round losses in Metz, Ma- uh, Montpellier, Rotterdam, Indian Wells, Monte Carlo, Rome, you know, Stuttgart, Roland Garros, Eastbourne, through the first half of the season, it was brutal in first matches for Uko Umber. And you look for him overall on the year. Again, in those first matches of events, Umber 10-13 and 13 overall this season, uh, excuse me, over the last 52 weeks. And again, you look for him this year. He won just five of his first, what, 13 first-round matches here in 2022. That's not great as we like to say here at cracked rackets that said shout out to ugo Umber, who has won his first match now in 6 of his last 7 events and has found his rhythm once more on the atp challenger tour and we talk all about all the time about the the parity between the lowest, you know, the ATP 250s and the ATP challengers, there's a lot of overlap in the players you'll see competing in both events, a lot of overlap. in, again, the players you'll see having success in uh, one in a given week at each of those levels. I mean, for Ugo Umbert, you just look at what he's done over the back half of this season. Since the start of July, you know, he loses... Uh, Third round Wimbledon, which would have given him much needed points had Wimbledon offered points, but of course it did not this year, and as such, he has to go to the challenger level. That said, here's what he's done at the challenger level since that start of July. Blanco semifinals. L.S. Spinar, semifinals. Vancouver, semifinals. Granby, quarterfinals. France last week, challenger title. You want to talk about getting yourself back into the top 100 mix? You earn victories over guys like Nuno Borges and you know Dominic Team, Peter Goyavchek, Jills Brower, Mikhail Emer, as he has at these challenger events over the past few weeks. All guys who have been top 100 or floating around that top 100 number. That's how you rebuild your ranking. That's how you go from outside the top 150 uh, at the start of July to now number one ten. In the uh, ATP rankings following his run in France and for Umbert in particular, I mean, was just electric on serve all week long. You look in his five total victories, he faced 21 break points, saved all 21 that he faced on the indoor hard courts of France. Against Dominic Team. he was flawless in his execution. No double faults, made 75% of his first serves, won 71% of his first serve points, 64% of of his second serve points, was just picking on that Dominic team one-hander over and over and over again. And any time team threw in a slice return, which he had to do by the end of the match just to get that ball in play, you know, Umber's going ripped plus one ball to the open court. Didn't matter if it was attacking the team forehand on the run, the team backhand on the run. He just forced team to hit everything on the run. And look, team was awful in this match. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, and part of that was probably due to the fact that he had played some physical tennis in the two matches leading up to the final. A tough three-set match physically against Adrian Andreev, a tough three-set match again physically against Ugo Gaston in the semi-finals, but I'm not making excuses for Dominic Team. Again, he did not play well, and Ugo Ember was perfectly positioned to take advantage of the limitations of Dominic Team's game. Now, again, you look for Team since his extraordinarily slow start uh, to his return to tour here this season. Now you look for Dominic Team fourteen and fourteen overall on the year, but again, he lost his first seven matches of the season, so he's fourteen and seven uh, since the start of July. Technically, thirteen and six, which sounds a little bit better. Since the start of Bostad and making that ATP level return. But look, quarterfinals Bostad, semifinals Stad, quarterfinals Kitz Buell, now uh, finals of a challenger as well. Obviously, it was tough to see him knocked out in four sets by Correño Busta at the U.S. Open. Tough to see Jack Draper beat Draper the way, uh, beat team the way that he did in Winston-Salem the week prior to the Open. Do I think team is the top 10 player he was prior to injury? No, not yet. Do I think he's a top 100 guy at this point? Absolutely, and he's all the way back up to number 182. Of course, team, the sort of guy who will get wild cards into any event he really wants to play throughout the course of 2023, but... Again, slowly but surely, I'm believing more and more in Dominic Team. I think he's still probably three quarters to a step and a half slower than he was prior to all these injuries. And when he won his U.S. Open title in 2020 and was making French Open finals back in 2018-2019, he's not back there yet from a movement perspective. But I mean, how solid he is. From the center of the court, the explosiveness of his forehand, I think how well his footwork has adjusted on his plus one balls. Things are getting better even if they're not quite elite yet for Dominic team, But credit to Hugo Ember, who again takes advantage of a massive opportunity. And then, you know, last, few, uh, last three, I want to just talk about real quickly. How about Michael Moe? When will Michael Moe ever be healthy for a full season? You know, that and how many licks does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop are perhaps the two questions that will never properly be answered. But anyone who's followed the career of the 24-year-old Michael Moe knows that this guy has the physical Capability he, physically, he's a top 100 guy. I mean, physically, he might be a top 10 guy. I mean, again, the explosiveness of his first step, his ability to track down that extra ball. The problem is, he gets a little too slight, uh, a little too tentative, uh, a little bit too reliant on that physicality, that ability to grind down opponents. That said. Again, you look for Michael Moe now back into the top one hundred fifty, up to number one thirty three by winning the Kerry Challenger title last week, earned a couple of really impressive victories down the home stretch over guys like Cope for Thompson and Uchiyama, who have all been top one hundred players at various points. Of course, you look for Michael Moe now this season. Perhaps the big number that I want to focus on, yes, he's twenty-nine and twenty-five. But he has played 54 matches this year, and we haven't seen that, you know, massive injury hold. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the month of June, certainly. Or excuse me, we saw it a little bit in the summer, not in the month of June, but uh, certainly in the summer it felt like, or at least that month of May, he might have been a little bit banged up, but I mean... Again, that he's been able to play 54 matches here this season. You look for him overall. Yeah, a lot, if not all of these matches, all. But, you know, his Houston quarterfinal run, Lyon round of 16, just about everything else has been at the challenger level in terms of success this season. But, you know, he makes a challenger final in Tallahassee on the clay. He now wins the carry challenger final here uh, in September. Cleveland challenger semifinals on the indoor hard courts earlier this year as well. Buckmo's getting closer and closer to back to what he was prior, you know, again, to when he made that top 100 debut back in October of 2018. I thought the big thing for him this week was how well he served, in particular the first serve. I think he's taken a little bit of pace off that first serve in uh, uh, and replaced it with placement and just, again, hitting it higher percentage, but I mean, you look for Michael Moe making 67.7% of his first serves throughout the course of the season, winning 71.4% of his first serve points, and perhaps most impressively over the course of the past week, he won over 50% of his second serve points in three of his four victories, faced. You know, fought off all the break points he faced against Jordan Thompson, was only broken four times through his four wins this week. It's pretty good math, if you ask me. It's a pretty good break percentage for Michael Moe throughout the course of the week, who with that serve combined with, again, his ability to make that extra ball on every point he plays, the fact that he's able to generate these power and these shots from ridiculous corners of the court. It's why you got to keep your eye on Michael Moe moving forward. It's why we've yet to quit on him here at Crack Rack. It's great to see him playing well once again. Good to see Dom Kopfer, who uh, has struggled certainly at the ATP level throughout the course of the past year and now finds himself after reaching, you know, that peak of number 50 uh, back in 2021. He's currently sitting at 165 in the live rankings. So big run for Kovar to get to that carry challenger as well, uh, final as well, and just start to put himself back in the right position. But again, you had those two challenger winners. You also had Quarantine Mute, who has continued to ride the momentum he built by making that second week run at the U.S. Open. And Mute ultimately, three-set victory to earn another challenger title on the year, this time in Poland. And you look for him drop two sets throughout the course of the week, an impressive six two six seven six four win over Dennis Novak in the final. Moutet's now up to a new career high number sixty four in the live rankings. How about that for the French lefty? Who, by the way, yeah, feels like his breakthrough run to that Wimbledon round of sixteen. When was that? Twenty twenty? Couldn't have been twenty twenty because that tournament didn't exist then. Twenty nineteen feels like a generation ago. Uh but. The lefty Moutet is still just 23 years old, and I ask you this. Two talented, shot-making, creative, athletic Frenchmen who are both in their early 20s. Who, who ends their career with a higher career high ranking? Quarantine Moutet or Hugo Gaston? Tweet at me, at A.L. Gruskin. I would love to hear your answers. Also, shout out to Radu Elbot, who, of course, earned a Challenger title last week. But if you're looking for more Challenger knowledge, head on over to our Great Shout podcast feed, as every Monday, Crack Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Babro have you covered by talking about all the action that happens week in, week out in the Challenger world. That said, that's your look at the past few days in the pro tennis world. How a year-end run should look. If you're asking me, of course, we'll be back. If not later today, then certainly tomorrow, hopefully with Nate Walrith to preview all of this week's tour level action. We've got ATP level events occurring once more. The women uh, uh, over in Japan playing some high level tennis plethora of challengers, as I alluded to as well. Plenty of ammunition for us to have on this podcast. And of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. You know the deal, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all this year at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, or or later today. Thanks, everyone.